welcome to Finding the Glitter in the Gold, a J.R.R. Tolkien Middle Earth chat podcast. I'm Hannah. And I'm Zoe. And um, as always, I would like to start this episode by saying we are talking about the works of John Ronald Raoul Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien. He was writing in the Middle Earth universe from 1937 when he was 45 years old up until his death in 1973 when he was still writing these stories but had not managed to make an internally consistent narrative. So any mistakes we make in the minutiae, the details of these podcasts are because we are making like J.R.R. Tolkien and making shit up as we go along. He literally made up Aragorn on the spot. Oh my god, I sent you that. <laughs> Can we like have a pause for a moment and be like, he wrote this guy and then C.S. Lewis was like, what's the dude in the corner? And it took him a while to make him into the king. Yeah. So uh, we're referring to something that I sent Zoe today. We went on a tangent right out the gate. (laughs) Right out the gate, we have a tangent. Um, This was a Tumblr conversation with Russian Dolly, Whetstone Fires, Kawuli, Finding Feather, Headspace Hotel, Darth Melania, and Wood Elf 68. On Tumblr, it had a. It starts with a footnote, presumably from something that Christopher Tolkien said in one of his books, uh, where he says, "To show that this is not fanciful, in his letter to me of sixth of May, nineteen forty-four, my father wrote, a new character has come on the scene. I am sure I did not invent him. I did not even want him, though I like him. But there he came, walking into the woods of Ithilien, Faramir, the brother of Boromir. I did not even want him. It's brutal." <laughs> But it, like, it's as if they're real, you know? Like, oh, yeah, this dude just came a-walking down the street. Didn't know he was going to be there. Don't even know who he was, but now he's here in my life. And you're like, dude, you created this. This is your own brain. But it sort of works that way. Sometimes you write a character in a story, and you cannot get the story to move past them. Tolkien again did this with uh, Aragorn, where Strider just showed up in Bree smoking in the corner and refused to leave or let the story go on without him. Which then followed with an entire made-up dialogue between C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, in which C.S. Lewis is like, this dude in the corner has to be somebody. And Tolkien's like, eh, we'll figure it out. I know all these things about language and weeds and their uses, but I don't know who this dude is. I think maybe he's going to be the guy who saves the world. (laughs) I don't know yet, though. (laughs) Very different writing styles. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. That's not what our episode's about today, though. I don't want to throw you off here. This is not what I talk- we're talking about. We're not talking about the creation of Faramir and uh, Aragorn out of not even Tolkien's mind, but just the story itself. <laughs> we are instead going to be talking about... The history, or brief cons- consolidated history, of elves and dwarves and some fun facts therein. Excellent. And I will insert some weird opinions about uh, the different races' hotness meters. Thank you, Tumblr. (laughs) That's what it's for. I love it. Clearly, this is why we created this podcast. (laughs) So let's dive right into it, shall we? Absolutely. So I'll start with the elves. There's there's a bunch of history in like the second age of Middle Earth that I'm not really going to go over because it's a lot of... um, wars and who was on whose side and then side stories about the Noldor and 
all these different things that I'm like, this is really, really complicated and not really necessary to our understanding of where elves came from. So we're going to go mostly be about the origins and not their blood battles and bloodlust. So as we learned in the last episode, elves were the original race. They were born um, by Eru, who was also known as Iluvatar. Um, and they were one of the children of Iluvatar, the race of men being the other child of Iluvatar. Um, they were the first to awaken, and so that's part of why they were called the firstborn. You hear a lot of different names for the elves throughout the Lord of the Rings. Elves, firstborn, children of Iluvatar, Kendi, which is the name they give themselves. Kendi? Uh, it's a word in, it's the name that they gave themselves when they, when they created speech after they awoke. Uh, it means the ones who speak with voices in primitive Elvish. Hmm. So they woke in Middle-earth during the reign of Melkor, and it was like, the Middle-earth was dark and full of decay and corruption, and none of the Valar were there, and the Valar had retreated to Valinor, but the elves awoke. And they were next to, they woke next to a lake called Lake Kuivienen. They awoke to starlight because there was no sun or moon that had been created, and this is part of why they loved the stars so much, as it was the first light that they ever saw. It is said that the first six elves, there were three pairs of husband and wife, woke by the lake and then they walked through the forests. And as they walked, they came across more elves until there were 60. And with these 60 elves, they created music. So they were then going through the woods singing um, and they encountered another group of dark haired elves. So apparently all the ones so far were like light blonde haired. Um, and the dark haired elves were the first of the Noldor who are a specific race of elves who would later have their own sagas, including a drowning city. You know, why not? Are they like people elves? No, they were just normal elves. Okay, they just have an Atlantis. Kind of different race, different hair color. I guess you gotta have some kind of like genetic variation, right? If you're gonna breed. I mean, yeah. They were a genetic variant, I guess. Dark hair. As far as Genesis goes, though, there ain't a lot of uh, genetic variation offered. No, no, there never is in this kind of thing. Three heterosexual couples is... Right. Well, then they, then they wandered around and they found some more couples that they weren't related to. Um, and so then they continued until there were 144 elves. And apparently in Primitive Elvish, at least, there was no higher number than 144 in Primitive Elvish. They only counted to 144? Yeah. There was, like, no words for it. Or they could, they would do like, you could do math of 144, but a word for a specific number ended at 144. Dang. What is with 144? Is it special? I believe that's also what one gross is, because that was how many people. I think you're right. That's how many hobbits Bilbo invited to his party was one gross. Wow. Yeah, it is. 12 times 12. I just used my calculator on it. But uh, I don't know why this is a specific number for... Tolkien, it's just, it seems random, unless he also liked the, like, the 12 times 12 thing. Sure. I don't know. It's fine. We don't actually yeah. get into that. That's get gross of elves. <laughs> right. A gross of elves. And then it is said that only after this 144 group of elves were together that they created speech and words, and that's when they started calling themselves the Kendi. Melkor found these first elves, and he took some of them away and tortured them and turned them into the first orcs. Bummer. Not all of them, just some of them. 
So the Valar found out that the elves had awoken, and they then decided to drive Melkor out of Middle-earth to protect this first race of elves. They then summoned the elves to Valinor to befriend them and ask for their fellowship. The elves sent three messengers to Valinor, uh, Ingui, Finri, and Elwë. And when the messengers returned to Middle-earth, they had these stories of the beauty and bliss of Valinor, and they were like, hey, everybody, we should all go. Like, we all should go to Valinor. It's beautiful. Some of the elves agreed to, but some did not. And so they called this the first sundering of the elves. Uh, so the group of elves that did go decide to go to Valinor were later called the Calaquendi, which means elves of the light, because they returned to Valinor. And then along the way, some of them left the journey, and this is how a lot of them ended up scattered around Middle-earth. And the different groups of elves went off and had their own stories and their own battles and their own fights and legends, but that's a lot of history that gets really, really, really tedious. Tedious, yes. Um, but that was how elves were created. They just awoke. They just awoke in Middle Earth. Yeah, by a lake. By a lake. Mm-hmm. And then I love the image of them walking through the forest singing. Well, they always do, don't they? Like that's kind of what they're known for. Like when when they're when they're on their way to go into the West, and that Frodo and Sam see them. They're like just beginning their journey and the fellowship, and they're like they go and they see the the group of elves walking through the forest singing. That's true. I wish they'd done that when Arwen was doing her first, like, well, her, her attempted leaving when she has that vision in the woods. They were somber, though. They were all, she was sad and angry. They had the dude from the Flight of the Concords there, though. They should have used him. To sing? He just busts out a guitar and starts singing. The most beautiful girl in the room. The whole wide room. Right. You're so beautiful, like a tree or a high-class prostitute. You're as beautiful as an ent. So fun facts about elves is they are immortal, except that they can be killed by physical injury or by despair. So if they just get really lonely and tired of being alive for too long, they'll die. They can just die of sadness. Yep, they die of the sads. I get that. Some humans can do that too. But (laughs) elves dying of sadness is just so strange to me. But it was like... I'm glad you talked about it, that there is canon for it, because uh, I did send you a thing on Tumblr. This is an exchange with Penny Anna, NDS Deer, and She of the Tea, where they talk about if Sam finds out that elves can die of sadness, and he gets really concerned and starts doing his best to make sure that Mr. Legolas is happy all the time, just in case. Also, I love that it's Mr. Legolas. Well, it, it becomes an issue when, when Legolas says, I prefer not to be referred to as Mr. Legolas. And Sam doesn't want to risk upsetting him, but also that goes against everything he knows. Then what is he going to call him? Options include Mr. Highness Greenleaf, sir. Mr. Greenleaf, Mr. Green, Mr. Leaf. Sir? <laughs> And if you have the exchanges where Legolas and Gimli are fighting, as usual, and then Sam's just like, stop, stop, you leave Mr. Elf alone, Mr. Gimli. Legolas says, why, thank you, Sam. You see, Gimli, your dwarven rudeness has even upset Sam. And then Sam says, as he's sobbing, he can't take such a talking to Mr. Gimli. He's such a sensitive soul. Much more of that, and he'll be dead by morn. Legolas's response is to look very confusedly at the stones, the wind whipping back his elvish hair. And the Aragorn chimes in and he says, Sam, don't worry. It takes a lot more sorrow than that to kill an elf. But Sam points out, these are really sad times. 
We're all very upset all the time because of the quest. What if something small is what pushes him over the edge? Aragorn, it doesn't work like that. Legolas, genuinely panicked, asking, what if it works like that? Aragorn, I'm sure it doesn't. He has a point. I am very upset all the time. Gandalf, Legolas, I assure you, no elf has ever died like that. Uh, Legolas, not yet they haven't. And then Legolas and Sam are just both panicking. I like that urban fantasy inspiration adds to the end of all this. The entire fellowship has one collective brain cell, and most of the time, it's Aragorn's. But, fun fact, elves, because they are immortal, then they go to Valinor, their, like, spirit or whatever goes to Valinor and ends up in the Hall of Mendos, and after a little bit of time, they reincarnate. Oh my god, do all elves reincarnate? Yeah, they can all reincarnate. Whoa. So there's a finite number of elves. No wonder they don't have kids. Yeah. I mean, they can have children. They can, yeah, but... But they don't have as many, and they don't really need to because they reincarnate. So in the History of Middle-Earth, Volume 10, and I will be paraphrasing here because it was a much longer, longer paragraph, uh, for elves, sex and marriage are one and the same. It is through sex that they are married. So, like, once they have sex, they're married. They don't have sex before then. Hmm. Uh, they do not consider the day a child was born as the beginning of existence, but the day that it was conceived, which is also, therefore, usually the same day that they parents got married. Wow, that is extremely fertile. I mean, they don't necessarily get always get Pragers like that, but they could potentially all just be, hey, we're married and now we're Pragers. Elves come of age at 50 years old. And they usually marry uh, about that time, too. They never marry or, or marry late. And if they do, they're said to have strange fates. And the history did not go into what this means, but apparently it's an elvish superstition. Kind of like being an old maid. Something ends up weird. Uh, elves can tell in the eyes and voice of another elf if they are married. <laughs> so I'm like, what does this sound like? Like, what, what, what does an elvish voice sound like for one who is married and one who is unwed? Maybe you get like a ring around your iris or something. Ring. <laughs> Put a ring on posy, it. Pocket full of posies. <laughs> um, and a really, another thing of weird implication, uh, elves, it's like custom to not take another elf by force because a forced elf would quote unquote reject bodily life and die because of the union of souls that happens when an elf marries and because of the eternal nature of elven souls, they do not divorce nor get remarried. So elves do not rape other elves because it kills them. Yes, precisely. And they can't get remarried? Because they are, you know, their souls are wed together once they have sex and they reincarnate, so you are forever married. Oh my god, so you're married even after you die. Okay. Yeah. Which makes me be like, okay, but if you're reincarnated and you're reincarnated as an elf, then do you have to, like, find the same souled ex-partner of yours that's been reincarnated too or are you reincarnated as the exact same elf so therefore you're like okay hey hubby we're still together i know who you are i'm wondering too because elves and humans marry and have kids and we have a whole other episode planned for that one but i mean if the human dies then the elf is just stuck single forever yes which is probably part of why elrond is like please don't marry a man you are forever doomed to solitude and loneliness. 
Yeah. You got other people around you, I guess, though. Yeah. You're like this one and no other, and I'll just have good friends later. <laughs> There's a lot of ideals going into that that I don't even want to start to unpack. I mean, this whole thing is pretty fucked. Like, you marry, have sex, you can't have sex before marriage, because otherwise you just are married, and then yep. the moment of conception equals the baby is alive. Like, that's some that's some stuff. Yeah. So that's our rundown on elves? Yeah, that's the rundown of where elves come from, basics, and some fun little facts about elves. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of not fun facts about elves, too. Like many, many pages of sagas. Yeah. It it becomes very... I mean, a lot of it is really interesting in terms of how it shapes Middle-earth history and the amount of detail that Tolkien put into his folklore and his legends and what happens when and how that triggers this event and how all the events kind of line up like a domino effect to lead to the Lord of the Rings. But as I was... It's one of those things where once you start talking about a piece of it you have to explain what happens before and what happens after and then you kind of just go into an entire 30 minute long description of elvish history in the first and second age which didn't quite seem necessary yeah that's not really what we're about we're not like a tolkien recap podcast precisely we want to get to the kinky shit so this was the the beginning of the kinky shit is gonna go there we're gonna go there not in this episode though no we got other other stuff to deal with yes what about dwarves tell me about dwarves you were so excited for dwarves my true treasures i mean listen i the hobbit was a lot of things good was not one of them but it did have for the movies the movies i i never uh read the book what i never read the book Okay, I understand you not reading The Lord of the Rings, and I understand you not reading The Silmarillion, but The Hobbit's like 150 pages of pure joy. The names really fucked me up the time I tried to read it. What? They're so easy. No. Bilbo, Biffer, Bopper. Bopper? I don't think it was Bopper. It wasn't Bopper. <laughs> Biffer, Bofer, Bomber, Dwalin. <laughs> I don't know. There's so many. Oak and shield. Oin, gloin. I didn't realize that the dwarves were basically interchangeable in the book, so I was trying to remember their goddamn names, and then there was... I mean, don't tell them that they're interchangeable, but they're... In the books, they're interchangeable. In the movies, they're very distinct, and I am in love with one of the dwarves, and I believe it's Dwalin. It's the one who first shows up, who has, like, a tattooed head and stuff. Oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, he's damn sexy. They made him very distinct in the movies, and I appreciate that, and I will be talking about that later, but... Hotness the hotness of these dwarves, but they're, they're my jam. And so I would like to know more about the dwarves. I'm also curious, especially because in the last episode that you led, you talked about how they had just, they weren't woken up in Middle Earth the way that the elves and the humans were. They were maybe just there the whole time. I found out they weren't just there. They weren't just there. Okay. They were made by Ule, who was one of the honor. One of the, you know, the, the spirits that we talked about last time, right? Yes. The powerful spirits. Yes. So he didn't want to wait for the coming of the children of Iluvatar because he was impatient as fuck and wanted to teach them how to make things because he was really good at craftsmanship. And he was basically like a really proud daddy being like, I want to teach them everything I know and make them really, really, really good. I don't want to wait for Iluvatar to wake up his motherfucking children. So I'm going to make my own. That's amazing. He did. Yes. Um, so there were seven fathers of the dwarves that he made, and he hid them in the mountains. 
He came to find out, however, that he wasn't Eru, so he didn't have the ability to make life, so these things that he created weren't actually alive, which doesn't work really well if you want to make something that's living, right? So then he went to Iluvatar, and he was like, hey, I messed up. Can you please give them life just for me? I promise I won't be like Melkor over there and mess up your song and create discord. I just want to have some people to teach cool shit to. I love this. So Iluvatar was like, yeah, okay, I'll give them life. But I don't want them to be alive before the elves wake up because the elves are the firstborn and they're going to be really badass and really hot. Um, So they have to sleep until the elves wake up. So basically, seven followers of the dwarves went to sleep under the mountains and then a century after the elves woke up, awoke. That sucks. That um, defeats the entire purpose. He's like, I want to teach my kids stuff. And they were like, sure, they're going to sleep for even longer than the other and ones. The owner are like, they're, they're spirits, right? So they're immortal. And a century is probably really, really, really short in terms of millennia of being alive. So, well, I guess they weren't alive for that long yet. But still, a century is pretty short. So then he ended up being able to teach them stuff because then he came back down to Middle Earth and was like, now I will teach you dwarves. I like you. You're mine. So he picked dwarves as the people to teach his like craftsmanship stuff to, but not the elves? No, because he had created the dwarves. Eule had created them. So he kind of wanted like his own little group of people. He was like, yeah, I see that. Maybe he like looked at the elves and he was like, yeah, these are like pretty, but like I don't. He hasn't woken up yet at that point. But, like, so they'd been made. But he hadn't seen them because they hadn't woken up. Oh, there wasn't, like, blueprints lying around on Iluvatar's desk. No. But he has, like, he has the blueprints out. And he's like, here's what I want it to look like. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go bear it. I'm going to, like, put them together. I'm going to make them. Whoopsies. They don't have any life. We're going to hide them in mountains and then go ask the one god to give them life for me. Because I messed up. Okay. Were they the second ones to wake up then? They, they actually, yeah, they, they were the second ones. They woke up before men. They also live a hellishly long time. Maybe this is related. What? Like the longer you slept, the less you get to live when you're alive. Maybe. I could be wrong. You, you, tell me what you know about dwarves. Um, so each of the seven fathers became the king of their own clan, but we only know the name of one of the fathers, and that's Durin the first. I think I remember his name coming up is like a swear or something or like by Durin. I don't know. Probably not a swear. Probably like an oath. By Durin's beard, I'll, I don't know, steal this hobbit. Yeah, probably something like that. They're all fathers. There's seven fathers in the mountains. Yeah, they're called fathers. Aule only made men when he made these dwarves. Hmm. But that's not, I mean, there are dwarf women, which I will get to. So then, so Durin is important because there was a, a, a superstition legend among the dwarves that there would be seven dwarves who would be born who would look like Durin. And once the seventh one was born, it meant that the uh, end of the race of dwarves was at hand. In the second age, there was Durin the second and Durin the third. Durin the second perfected the craft of Mithril. Durin the third was gifted one of the rings of power. Because Aule had made the dwarves resistant to evil dominion, uh, like he created them to resist evil, they did not become wraiths like men. They just got really, really greedy with gold lust. I just keep thinking about like Tolkien's conception of what evil is. And like he clearly didn't want to touch 
rape or anything like that because he's like else can't be raped let's not talk about it um but he was like greed now that everyone's kind of wrestling with in these books selfishness power the want for power oh i kind of found this fascinating as i was reading some of the history um and I did not know this, but after the Battle of Pelennor Fields, which was in the Return of the King, 30,000 um, dwarves, who also called themselves Longbeards, or Durin's folk, so again, they believe themselves descended from Durin, and 20,000 men of Dale held the Lonely Mountain under siege against the Easterlings. Uh, the Easterlings were some of Sauron's fighters. And so the... Durin spoke, the dwarves went and held them off until Sauron was defeated. Wow. That's just in the books or the Silmarillion or what? This was in the appendices. Ah. But this happened at the same time as a bunch of the other stuff in Return of the King. I just didn't realize. I mean, obviously there's like the side stories because it's Tolkien. And of course he has it all planned out where everything is happening in these different times and these different places. But yeah, I didn't know that in the same time. As the return of the king, the dwarves are off doing other things, fighting against Sauron. That makes sense. I mean, they're good. They're a good race. Yeah. I also totally forgot about the Easterlings. Those are like humans. Yeah. The people with the Oliphants. Yeah. Those guys. That is potential episode fodder right there. Didn't think about that. Are those the Easterlings or the Southernlings? I don't know, Zoe. I don't know the difference. I don't either. So again, something else to research. Yeah. But they apparently were both fighting for Sauron. So in the Fourth Age, dwarves and men reforged their alliance. And the Fourth Age was after Aragorn became king. Uh, they helped rebuild Helm's Deep and Gondor. And Gimli became king of the Glittering Caves. And the Glittering Caves were behind Helm's Deep. I read so much good Gimli and Legolas fan fiction about the Glittering Caves when I was in high school. Like, so much. And I didn't realize that, like, in the appendices, it actually talks about Gimli and Legolas, how they went on many adventures together, but history lost track of their fate. And it is rumored that Gimli and Legolas eventually boarded a ship that sailed down the River Anduin out to sea into Valinor, which would mean that Gimli would be the only dwarf who was ever allowed into the Undying Lands. Oh my god, it's because they're married. I was going to say, does this mean that they had sex and were married? And then, of course, Gimli could go. Were they, were they, were they lovers? They were totally lovers, though. They don't were even, totally lovers. Don't even try it. So dwarves aren't immortal the way elves are, though. No. No, they're not immortal. They just live really long, but they're not immortal. Oh, and so during the seventh, uh, we took Moria, and apparently... The Longbeards lived there in splendor until the world grew old and the days of Durin's race ended. And if you're looking at how the timeline lines up with when Durin the Seventh existed and Tolkien's entire map that to current day Earth, the Dwarfen race would have existed until about 1965. So you did ask about Dwarven women. Yes. And I did find out about that. Excellent. So from so I went to the Lord of the Rings Wikipedia and they were um, citing from the History of Middle Earth, the volumes that Christopher Tolkien published. Um, so dwarven women were very similar to their menfolk. They were stocky, short, and bearded. They made up less than a third of the race of dwarves, and they were seldom seen outside their own halls. They were crafters and caretakers in dwarven society, and they only traveled in great need and dressed as men 
So many people thought that there were no dwarf women, but that dwarves grew from the stone from which they were created. But apparently, there are dwarven women, just not that many. Dwarves tend to be monogamous, and only a third of dwarves actually married. That makes sense, because there is one third of the women, and Tolkien loves heterosexuality. Yes, he does, except with Gimli and Legolas. Yeah, because they're very married. Yeah, totally. So we talked at one point about, like, diet and whether or not dwarves would have grown their own food or not. Um, but it said that more that they traded for food with the things that they crafted because mithril was especially lucrative and they could make so much money from stones and gems and mithril and different kinds of mining, things like that. They could get all the food they needed just from trade. So they basically just like always get takeout. Yeah, basically. I yeah. love that. That says something about the priorities, I guess, um, that I kind of enjoy where the priority in dwarven society is creation and innovation and um, that kind of manufactured wealth and uh, industriousness. And, and the so wealth that, of like the amount of that, of the gems and the stones and the weapons they had, like they definitely were capitalistic in that sense. And the more you have, the better you are. Anything more on dwarves? No, that is what I found about dwarves. Well, the segue that I have for us is related to uh, Legolas and Gimli. Oh, good. Just because I don't know if I've ever sent you this. It's kind of just like a, a fanon thing that I've seen across Tumblr where, you know, it's not a, it's not canon at all, but the fandom kind of just accepts it because it's entertaining or interesting. Mm-hmm. It's that uh, Legolas is absolutely butt ugly for an elf and Gimli is the most beautiful, sexy dwarf possible. <laughs> And they get married and their respective families are kind of like, what are you talking about? Like, like there's the the weird prejudice that you get a sense of in the movies where elves and dwarves like have some strange animosity. And um, that all goes back to the history that I didn't cover. Do they fight each other? They, they like have alliances and then they don't have alliances and they're at war with each other and they don't trust each other and trading doesn't end very well and yeah there's a lot of bad history there okay so they have that whole bad history thing and i imagine they rely a lot on stereotypes and they also have very different aesthetics on what is beautiful as you can see when you look at any of the architecture or costuming choices that were made or like jewelry choices, grooming decisions, anything that's depicted in the movies. Mm -hmm. Can't confirm in the books that they went into explicit detail on what everyone was wearing or anything like that. But um, in the movies, at least, you can tell that there's a very different aesthetic going on between the elves and the dwarves. All the flowing lines of the elves and the like self-contained, self-possessed air that they have. And then the dwarves are blunter and cruder and uh, bearded and braid things into those beards. The elves also have braids, but they're like crowned. I don't know if they call themselves crude though, because there's some of like the greatest craftsmen and metallurgists and jewelry makers in the entirety of Middle Earth. Like crude isn't a word that I would use for dwarves. I'm mostly just thinking like uh, Gimli has the nastiest dirty laugh. (laughs) Ah, that kind of crude. Not like, not in terms of manners, gotcha. not in terms, I mean, a little bit in terms of manners, but uh, mostly just because they break into Bilbo's house and like eat all his stuff and throw a big party and chuck everything around and have the most beautifully choreographed food fight. <laughs> right? 
with the best song to go along with it. Oh yeah. No. Dwarves are my favorite. Their their tastes are less refined, which is totally fine and cool. I would party with a dwarf before I'd party with an elf. Oh god, yeah. You'd party with a hobbit before anything. Oh, well that goes without saying I'd fit in the best. <laughs> but my point was like a meeting of the families if Legolas and Gimli ever like brought their families together. It'd be like, okay, so we got married and I want you to meet my parents. All of the dwarves being so despairing over Gimli marrying this shit ugly elf. And then Thranduil sitting around feeling grumpy because his son married a dwarf, but then he learns that Gimli is the sexiest dwarf in all the land. It's just a beautiful image, and I feel like he got a little bit more smug about it. He's like, oh, my son married a dwarf, but at least he married the most beautiful dwarf. The most desired dwarf. Because he certainly couldn't marry an elf, because he's hideous. He's too ugly. <laughs> and he's a Mirkwood elf, which I still want to get into at some point, how weird Mirkwood elves are. That. Yes. Um, but this is, a, this is a moment to talk about the different aesthetics that I think are at play. And... I'm going off of the actors that were cast in the movie because I don't know what the descriptions of the characters were like in the book. There's a conversation that happened with Penny Anna uh, on Tumblr and then Kayla Bird, Femme Faramir, and uh, Tolkien Ho of the dwarves discussed in The Hobbit. Gloin is the sexiest dwarf by dwarf standards. Keely is the sexiest dwarf by elf standards. Thorin is the sexiest dwarf by human standards, and Bomber is the sexiest dwarf by hobbit standards. So what are the different standards then? I feel like the standards are dwarves have a very kind of tough look to them. Heavily bearded is good, pretty burly, kind of a permanent glare maybe. That's the look that is desirable. Um, elves, they want something that's clean shaven and cheek bony. And fair skin, soft skin. Soft skin, yeah, soft and fair, yeah. Humans, we, we like them a little rugged. <laughs> the way you and I talk about Aragorn, I think that's pretty clear. <laughs> we like them a little grimy, uh, we like them a little angsty. shadow, silver in their hair. Mm, yes. So that's Thorin. And then by <laughs> Oh yeah. And then by Hobbit standards, you got Bomber who just likes to eat and party and like that's that's just hot, you know? Dude can eat. Very jovial too. Jovial, drink and eat. Yeah. He gets down. And yeah. Hobbits appreciate that. They have some pretty good extra add-ons to this where they say like Keely's straight up ugly by dwarf standards dude can't grow like a full beard still he's like a weird oh. child and then Thorin is like the dwarf equivalent of Benedict Cumberbatch where he's very divisive who thinks he's hot and who doesn't so would he be slightly Andrew? maybe to them yeah but then also if they ask so what is Frodo by Hobbit standards how hot is he and it was decided that he's probably not conventionally attractive at all, that, but he is the sexiest hobbit by elf standards. Yes. And then the person who had uh, the 
the take that deserves to be highlighted here, Fem Faramir pointed out Gollum and says, I don't know orc standards, but he seems like an ultra twink for orcs, just saying. Oh, oh I think Gollum wouldn't appreciate that. Gollum doesn't appreciate anything that's not the ring. But he hates orcs so much. They tortured him. Yeah, no. A lot. Yeah. So this is a, <laughs> a pretty brutal. <laughs> torture kinky. Oh, no. Well, he didn't like it. Kink is inherently about consent. Otherwise, it it's just it very bad. This did lead us into another little scene that uh, someone wrote up. This is Penny Anna once more. And then Riptide the Pen uh, also chimed in uh, on this one. But it was a little scene where um, Pippin is the only one of the hobbits who is Team Arwen in the who is the most beautiful woman in the world argument. We, we understand that uh, Gimli is very focused on Galadriel. Like, she's the hottest female elf. Legolas is, of course, his husband, but uh, he wants a hair from her head, and she gives him a three. But Pippin, being very Arwen-focused, the scene that plays out is, in this little writing piece that Penny Anna does is uh, Pippin, after being formally introduced to Arwen for the first time, Hey, Mary, do you think if I asked nicely enough, she'd marry me instead? Mary, Pippin, he lays a comforting hand on his shoulder. I think it is worth a shot. Pippin wanders away to pursue that particular goal. And Frodo asks, why would you do that? And Mary says, I want to see if he'll really try it. <laughs> and then it turns into a thing where it's like, if I beat Strider in rock, paper, scissors, can I marry Arwen instead? And then Aragorn accepts the challenge, knowing full well that he can literally read minds. It's impossible to beat him at rock, paper, scissors. But it is pointed out that Pippin would never think of which one he was going to throw. So Aragorn accepts, assuming that he would win easily, but then Pippin wins immediately. And Arwen straight up just says, well, now I must marry him. We agreed. Aragorn says, Arwen, please. And Arwen says, I love my tiny fiancé. <laughs> <laughs> then they have the whole scene with Elrond he says I don't like it either but you agreed that if he beat you in a fair combat then he could marry Arwen so now my daughter must marry this hobbit and Arwen says I'm comfortable with that Aragorn please this isn't funny Arwen says you should have thought of that before you accepted the challenge I'm engaged to Pippin now and poor Pippin's like, listen, I know this isn't actually going to end with me marrying you, but this is still the best day of my life so far. <laughs> so there's uh, some speculation on the beauty aesthetics of a few of the races that Tumblr has thrown out to us. They are quite lovely and involve a lot of dwarf comparisons. Yes. Well, I believe that uh, brings us to the close of this episode of Finding the Glitter in the Gold. Um, You've probably found us initially through SoundCloud, but we are reaching the limit of what I can upload for free there. So I have moved us to Anchor Podcasts, and Anchor Podcasts lets us post on a bunch of different podcasting platforms. So you actually can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, and Radio Public now. We're so famous! <laughs> we have like five listeners. I love it. Awesome. We're also explicit. Uh, but you can look us up at anchor.fm backslash finding the glitter. 
it's not a very extensive website or anything, but if you want to subscribe to us, you can also look us up on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all those. It's probably hard to find us because we have very few episodes and very few episodes, <laughs> but we are there, I promise. We're going to have so many of these by the end of quarantine. Well, we can keep going afterwards, too. We've got a lot of stuff to say. Our- oh, no, we have so much. That's what I mean. We're going to be found. Yes. Our podcasting topics are extensive, so don't worry about us running out of content anytime soon. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much for joining us and listening, and we will talk with you again with some more strange Tolkien stories and theories and some lovely history and linguistics sprinkled on the side. Catch you on the Shire side. Oh my god, that's the best one, yes. <laughs> Catch you on the Shire side is how we sign off now. <laughs>